Well, 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 what is up, everybody? I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. If you're on the YouTube, hit subscribe, hit thumbs up. If you're listening to wherever you get podcasts, hit subscribe for me. Do me a favor. Hey, you're Philadelphia Eagles, man. They did something they've only done three times in their franchise history, and that's win 13 or more games. We've got home field. We've got the bye. We've got a franchise QB. Jeffrey Lurie said it himself. Don't take this for granted. And then, of course, all people want to talk about is how rusty the Eagles look and Jonathan Gannon's defense. And that's why, along with Kevin Kincaid today, we've brought on Buddy's boy, Ant Sanfilippo, since there are rumors that Kinker, the leader of Kuganon, might be getting a head coaching job or might be getting a job on the coaching staff if Jonathan Gannon does get a head coaching job. Um, just a little backstory, because I'm, I'm sure people really don't know about this. If, you, if you've listened, you know, uh, me and Kev, we, we, we typically sit at the altar of Jonathan Gannon, or I think we, we, we more are just rational about the approach of, like, it's not really a blitz league, and Kev will get into that and whatnot. But in our Slack channel the other day, we had a very uh, animated conversation about Jonathan Gannon. There's a couple guys who don't like him. Obviously, Kev is the, the leading defender. Um, Kev in the chat said that Jonathan Gannon's 2022 defense is better than anything Buddy Ryan put out there, which then led to Ant Sanfilippo tagging me and saying he needs to be on the broadcast immediately the next time we do it. It set off Ant so much, who mentioned he typically agrees with Kevin, but that his dismissiveness of the Buddy defense, this is a direct quote, compared to today, is Russ Joy level insane as far as a take. No, no, nothing, nothing will ever be as insane as a... As a as, uh, <laughs> taking... I, I think we're going a little bit overboard. At his own co-host on Snow the Goalie. I mean, there, are, <laughs> there is division, there is strife all throughout Crossing Broad. And you are, you are the guest today. Um, I will let you have the first word. Kev, feel free to, to put in wherever you want to put in. Um, but is please, this where we're jump? Are we jumping right into this? We're not even going to talk about the Eagles winning 14 games and getting the number one seed. We're just going to start with 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 his Buddy Ryan bullshit, like right well, off. The I, I think it's kind of just going to morph into. <laughs> here, here, I'll I'll start I'll it. Right, yeah, go go. That's fine. I'm game. No, I'll I'll start it. The Eagles are 14 and three. They're the number one seed. Their home field comes. Uh, they have home field advantage through the NFC playoffs. Road so, to the Super Bowl comes through Philadelphia. Exactly Monologue just was. There's only one team. There's only one team really in the NFC who has a shot to beat the Eagles before the Super Bowl. Uh, and if they play them, then that would be a great NFC championship game because they cannot play before then. And that's the San Francisco 49ers. Other than that, nobody's coming into this town and beating no, into this stadium and beating this team. Dallas, they suck. Tampa Bay. I mean, everybody was, oh, well, you know, they got a good defense. Brady, blah, blah. They stink. Let's be honest. They really stink. Minnesota, if they were able to pull some upsets, no. I don't think. In fact, I think they're going to lose to the Giants in the first game of the, of the playoffs. So I think the Eagles are going to play the Giants in the divisional round. Is anybody really afraid of the Giants? No. I mean, so the Eagles are going to be hosting the NFC Championship game, and if, unless it's against, if it's against anybody other than the 49ers, they're going to be in the Super Bowl. So what do we got to talk about? You know, other than the BS that that Kincaid threw into the into the Slack chat for the next month, I mean, there's really nothing exciting to talk about until they play the 49ers, or if they don't play the 49ers, somebody upsets San Francisco until the Super Bowl. We Kevin. could, you know, just 
pause for a moment and reflect upon the regular season that this oh, yes. just just put in. I mean, yes, like, against the easy schedule in the, in the NFL this year. Why is it so hard for people to just like pause and think about like what they just witnessed? Why are we always on to the next? Because it's thing? not as, because it's only... not as great as everybody as, as Philadelphians want to make it out to be. It was a fantastic year. It was good. They were really really good. They're really really talented. But would they have gone fourteen and three against a tougher schedule? I don't think so. But they've won ten or eleven, yeah, because they're that good of a team. A very, let me let me ask a very open ended question here. Why does this city, this region, this fan base have such trouble, like just enjoying what what? Why does everything have to have a caveat or a footnote? Well, they had a shitty schedule where the defensive coordinator played too much. No, it's, it's not. If they it's coach not, like this, they're going to lose in the playoffs. They're not what, going to. They won fourteen what, what fun, games. Like what is what that? fun? What fun is sports? when there's not an, uh, two sides to an argument. We have no fun. If we just sat back and said, yeah, everything's hunky-dory, it's great, let's just enjoy everything, we wouldn't talk about anything. We wouldn't That's have to- not what anybody's asking, though. That's a false narrative. The, the, the thing is that nobody ever does that. It's just, you know, I was listening to, well, of course, this is probably not a good thing in the first place. I was listening to Sports Talk Radio yesterday, <laughs> and they, it's just like, like they just ignore, they just glossed over the entire like season achievement to talk about, like, the concerns going into the Super Bowl. They're not going to win the Super Bowl if they're not going to win you know, the divisional game if this happens. You know, if X, Y, Z. I mean, how many times has this team won the Super Bowl? Once. One time, Kev. One time. Okay, so if we're treating like if they don't win the Super Bowl, they fell short. Does that mean we're just like ignoring every other season that they've had outside of 2017? Like people have to be able to no look back and at least like enjoy or like understand the relevance, the records that were set this year. You know, some of the historic single season performances at these well, guys yeah, but i don't think i don't you gotta have to blow sunshine and rainbows up your ass no, like you gotta that, at least talk about that a little bit before you immediately just go on to like nick sirianni i'm worried about the coaching on gannon <laughs> the texans can take jonathan gannon shane steichen he sucks all of a sudden now all three of the coaches suck ass you know kyle shanahan's gonna coach circles around him in the championship game shut the fuck up and just enjoy it for like 10 it. seconds before you get into all that, we can talk about all that, and we are. But, like, you got to get – like, people want to, like, put the the cart before the horse here. Just slow it down. Think about the achievement they had. Appreciate the fact that this never happened. Well, but let me ask you this. I don't, I don't, in, in all honesty, in all honesty, though, Kevin, yeah. I mean, you say that, and it's, it's, it's kind of like insulting intelligence sometimes when you say that because – if I'm sitting here and, and I'm a huge Eagles fan and I'm enjoyed the hell out of this season and they go out in the first division game, like, let's say they play the Giants, just for example, mm -hmm. and let's say for some reason they just have a shitty game and they get beat by the Giants in a divisional round. Are we going to look back fondly on 14 and 3, 2022 for the next 15 years of our 20 years of existence, 50 years of existence and say, wow, what a great team. They just had one unlucky day in January. No, we're not going to say that. It's not going to fit into that mold. If the if the Eagles go farther and far in the playoffs, which they should do, mm -hmm. and then we then it will certainly fit into that top five seasons of all time kind of thing. We'll we'll appreciate it a lot more. But like you know, let's I use the Phillies as an example. Do we do we look fondly back on 2010? when they lost to the Giants and should have won, or 2011 when they lost to the Cardinals and should have won. I mean, those were great teams, but nobody's sitting back reflecting fondly on those years. But they reflect fondly on 1993 
which was not which was a one lightning in a bottle one year good team and then they sucked again after that but we loved that individual season because of what they gave us we're going to always love 2022 because of what the Phillies gave us unexpectedly they became a darling so those kind of things yeah but I mean I think you have to get through the entirety of the season and see where it fits into his to the history before you could sit there and say we really need to appreciate what just happened because it, it, until we have something to remember it by, then there's nothing to really appreciate just yet. Do you no, think it's you we're also spoiled? Because like- we're spoiled with like the most, the, probably the best twenty year history, twenty two year history in Eagles history. Since I mean, this is I, I I'm a part of the generation that is the most successful Eagles generation of all time. If you're if you're a if you're a Detroit Lions fan and your team goes 14 and 3 this they would talk about this season no matter if they lost in the divisional round for the next 50 years about being one of the most magical seasons I mean they're talking about 9 and 7 like it's one of the most magical seasons something they can they can build upon do you think it's cuz we're spoiled well it's an expect it's a higher expectation yeah. i mean we're a sports town that doesn't accept losing well so the fact that the Eagles have been consistently good for the most part for the better part of 25 years, yes, there's a higher expectation. So it's not just about having that winning season and having 14 and three. I mean, yeah, that's great. And and it will be a footnote if they don't do anything, if they don't get to the Super Bowl. It's probably just a footnote. Um, and I don't think people will remember this season as something awesome. They'll they'll look back the hist- in, in, in history. They'll look back and say there was a missed opportunity season, but they won't fondly remember it unless there's a run to within one win of a, of a championship. So we have, looking back over Eagles history since the Super Bowl era, there are 60 footnotes and one – no, like no, 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 no. Again, because there was an expectation coming into this season that this would be a good team. Sure. Right? I mean, so, so we, I mean, did we immediately, did everybody think they were going to be a Super Bowl team at the beginning? No, some yeah. people did, but there was a, there was an expectation at the very least that it was probably the best team in the NFC East, was probably going to be a playoff team, and it should improve off of last year's one and done. Right? So there was that expectation sure. so that when you have that coming in, you have to at least better what you did the previous season before anybody sits there and goes, okay, now we'll start thinking of this as maybe something that's a little bit more memorable. Well, here's the thing. You look at patterns in uh, that we can use to exemplify what we're talking about now. In the years immediately following Andy and Donovan not being able to get over the hump and get it done, people were still – annoyed and pissed off and looked back at them as just falling short and not being able to to get get the job done not being able to to win that ring right as time passes how do they how do eagles fans now look back at andy reed and donovan McNabb and brian westbrook and all those guys well, the play, of, I mean, fandom, hang on hang on okay a lot ahead. of that like you know what you're hearing now about gannon Steichen, and whatever stuff a lot of that has largely like People have moved on from that a little bit, and they're able to look back and, and see how good McNabb was and how good Andy Reid was and how fortunate we were to see an era of Eagles football that was as successful as it was. And you need blocks, Anthony, of five, six, seven years, which goes hand-in-hand hand with your your example there about the Phillies. Like, no, do we remember the 2010 team? No, but we remember 
2007 through 2012 as an excellent epoch mm-hmm. in 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 that that timeline of the franchise right so you have to get like five to ten years down the road and you have to have a block of time to be able to to analyze right and, and you also need to have the block be successful in order oh, yeah. to have it to be yeah. a block of time yeah. right i mean like i said like a, the, the 93 thing is the comparison i mean yeah. what we're, if we were to compare if we were to throw five years together the phillies what for that fi- for that team if, on the whole they sucked i mean yeah. 92 they were worse in, in baseball 94 they were under 500 95 96 i said they were 100 lost teams i mean those were bad bad teams with one exception in the middle so that's why that season will always stand out to Phillies fans. And it's quite possible that if we go ahead over the next two to three seasons and the Eagles are double-digit win teams and in contention every year, maybe they win a championship, maybe they don't. But either way, yes, it could fall into that same bucket that Andy's teams did at the you know turn of the century. Uh, um, but at the same time, if they don't, if they were, if they resort back to just being, you know, a mediocre team next year or two years from now, and they're just kind of on the fringe of the playoffs or whatever or miss. And this season would, does not amount to anything that uh, more than just a playoff appearance, then it will be a footnote. And that's the thing. So I, I don't think you can qualify the success of the season just yet. You just have to wait a little bit before you can. Well, here's the thing. It's great to have high expectations. Everybody in Philadelphia wants the best and, and you know, you know, looks at the the very top as being the benchmark and nothing less. That's a great philosophy to live by, to be an athlete by, to be a coach by. You want nothing, nothing but the best, right? But expectation does not match reality. Like, yes, I want them to be in the Super Bowl every year. I'm smart enough to know that they're going to get to the Super Bowl maybe once every 20 years. So I'm not going to look at the other 19 years between each Super Bowl appearance and be like, this sucked shit. No, I'm going to try to enjoy it for what it is, because if not, I'm going to be miserable. It's like Super Bowl or bust means there's a like 99% bust and 1% Super Bowl. So if you want to live in any kind of world, where you're trying to enjoy yourself as a fan and look at other achievements beyond just lifting the Lombardi trophy, which are not as important. But like I said before, if you're only framing it on whether a team wins a championship or goes to the Super Bowl, there's not a lot to talk about. What are we celebrating in Philadelphia if we're only focused on championships? We're talking about 2017 Eagles, the 2008 Phillies, 1983 Sixers, the Flyers of the seven. I mean, we're analyzing like eight teams. You know, so that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I understand that people have these well, expectations and that should be. But like if you if you can only really if everything that's not a championship or a championship appearance is like a bust, then then there's really what are we talking about? You know, there's just nothing to appreciate. If you, if you look at it's it. not that it's 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 not but it's not that it's a bust. I think that you you take it to to the opposite extreme. It, you could sit there and say it's a great season. And it is. I mean, right now in the moment. If all we're analyzing is, is the 17 regular season games, then yeah, it was a great season. But your season is not completely defined yet. So until we have the ultimate the conclusion of it, there's no definition for this season just yet. In the moment, in this in this moment, yeah, it's it's it was a really good season. But now now that really good season doesn't really matter over the course of the next four weeks. You know, not for the next four weeks, but what about the next 40 years? I think there's been there was more than enough that was done in the regular season that even if they go out and shit the bed against pick a team in the first round, people are going to look back at the season 20 years from now. They're going to look at A.J. Brown 
and his record. And they're going to look at the sacks that they had. And they're going to look at all that. So there's already been enough done that this season's going to hold up 10, 20, 30 years from now. It's going to hold up because there's only been three of these seasons that have ever happened with 13 or more wins. It's, it's They've already done enough that no matter what happens – you can be dis- I mean, be disappointed about what happens in the playoffs for sure, but they'll have it'll still have the same effect as those Donovan years, right? They're going to look back people, to the great season. Do you think people look at 2002, 2003 when the Bucks shut down the vet? Do you think they look at that as a positive season? Because I don't. No, but now I think I think that's the point that I was making about that block of time. I think that people look at like 2002 to, to 2008, which was their last run with Andy, and they'll say, "Hey, that was a great." era of Eagles football, you know, still they're going to, I don't think those feelings are mutually exclusive. They're going to say, yeah, we're disappointed. They didn't win a title there, but it's not so much like venom as it was in 09, 010. And right before Andy was fired, where people were like, God, what the fuck is all this? You know? And they were like, like literally angry about it. Like with time, I think it passed. They're like, look, they didn't win at all. But like that block of Eagles football was really, really good. So this, so and one, one thing before you go, this block of Eagles football is so weird because it's gone over five years, but it's gone over two coaches. It's gone over different regimes and whatnot. And they're actually, Adam Schefter had this. They're the first team to actually have two number one seeds with two different coaches in five years and different quarterbacks, which is like, so this is, this is, this is where I kind of agree with Ant, where if they come out and they don't make the Super Bowl or they lose in the first round, God forbid, I don't think the season will be looked at favorably from in terms of, in, for, for from Eagles, it won't be looking favorably for me, and, and that could be a bad thing or that could be a good thing. But I think me and you sat on here and we said if they don't make the Super Bowl this year and how weak the NFC NFC is, I think it's a failure of a year. I mean, that's just that's just my opinion. And, and I think with that five block of time between you know 2017 with the Super Bowl and now to 2022, I don't think 30 years from now this will be looked at as favorably as that 2000 2004 block. Well, no, let's, I, let's hop I, in the time machine. Let's let's you know get I, in the hot tub time machine and figure it out. You know, we'll go learn it right now. I just I just think good. it's like you know I, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't even call them. I probably agree with Anthony. I wouldn't even call them the favorite in the NFC going into it, even though they're the number one seed. I think San Fran's playing better right now for sure. I don't think that's a take at all. I mean, I think that San Francisco, if if the Eagles played San Francisco on neutral field ten times right now, I think San Fran would win probably six of them. You know, like I do think that they're the better team right now. If the Eagles get them, they get them at home. So, so that's 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 what's what's critical with all that. You know, I just don't. My my, my whole thing is not that I don't. I don't. I think the misconception that people have is that I'm like sunshine and pom poms and like you know always positive all the time. I I just want. I just feel like I, I my like my existence in like Q Ganon and other things is to like correct like arguments and like yeah. thoughts that are so like like overwhelmingly out on one side of the spectrum. That's like you know we got to pull it in. Like at least a little bit. Like we we're, we are crossing broad. We write some of the most critical shit ever, you know. So and for us to get the reputation of being like pom pom waivers, I think it's crazy. And you behind the scenes, you know, you'll you'll throw some tweets or some things in our group chat, and, and you'll be like, "This is fucking ridiculous." And, then, <laughs> and like people, yeah. I think people will be shocked to know how critical you really are. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's the, the point. That's the point. Like stuff that I think and stuff that I feel, I try to like think through it and then yeah. say, "Am I going to put these thoughts into like publication, or will I like?" take some time to think through it and like deliver something measured instead, you know, because everybody else is barfing out, everybody's just barfing out like knee jerk reaction, which is like the worst trait that we have in Philadelphia. Right? You want to call the radio and you want to bitch, you want to go on Twitter. You want to complain about something like what's really the next level of like, you know, response to this is like pausing, thinking about it and then trying to deliver something that's a little bit in the middle. I know it's not fashionable, but that's, that's, that's more of what we are. I don't think we like, I don't think we're like effusively positive about anything. I think we typically 
respond to things when they're being pushed too far in one direction. Something's way too positive. Like, yeah, I don't like, let's, let's bring it back to the middle here. Something's way too negative. We got a rational Tuesday, you know, I just want Eagles fans to enjoy what they're watching. I don't want the achievements that they've had during the regular season to be lost on anybody. And I don't want people to be, to enjoy a historic season and a rare season like this, just being negative and pessimistic all the time, because I don't think that's like any way to live. I will enjoy it until they lose before they get to Glendale. That's that's what I will do. I'll I'm enjoying the season. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Don't get me wrong, but if if they if if they lose in the playoffs before they get to Arizona, I mean I'm gonna look at this team and so, just so so let's now let's let's get to the matter at hand here. What does does Buddy's boy want to say about Buddy Ryan here? Let's hear all about Buddy Ryan and the four. No no no. It's, it's 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 not about me wanting to talk about Buddy Ryan. Okay, it's it's the statement that you made that was so ridiculous. And the statement that you put out there, which which um, Kyle already read, was that this defense is so far superior to anything that Buddy Ryan's defenses of the of the late 80s and early 90s could ever do. And it's it's beyond ridiculous. I, I don't know how you could ever potentially defend that. And that's why I wanted to come on the show. I didn't want to put any of my arguments into the Slack chat to give you an opportunity to prepare for them. Yeah, yeah. But I just that's why I wanted to, so I wanted I wanted you I was to, smart, man. to defend what you came out to say. Yeah. Because I think that's where and then I'll just be like that's all a, right, Kev, here's where you're wrong. That's a man that's been married before. Who knows? He doesn't want to get his arguments in there so that she has time to prepare. I like that. Yeah, this is not this is not like uh, Hillary Clinton getting the questions ahead of time from like Donna Brazil or, or, uh, or who is that? Do I have my people right? Yeah, yes, Donna Brazil is great. Yeah, it goes in one ear and out the other, and then she ends up at Fox News afterwards, right? It's funny. <laughs> So, Kev, what do you what do you think? You know, I know you have uh, anyone looking out right now. You have uh, 1,800 words, I believe it is, coming out later today. They'll come out after the 2,200 right now. It's almost oh, as long as an Anthony piece. Jesus so, Christ. Yeah. It's just a defense. It's not a defense of Jonathan Gannon because I agree with some of the criticisms that people have. Like, I don't like, uh, you know, six straight plays of four man rush drop seven in zone, you know, and like I agree with, and I agree that they didn't play any amazing quarterbacks this year. Their best wins were against Aaron Rodgers and Kirk cousins. Right. I mean, they, all the good quarterbacks were in the AFC. I mean, they didn't play Herbert. They didn't play Gino or Tua. They didn't play uh, Mahomes. They didn't play Josh Allen. They didn't play Joe Burrow. So, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. I think that's probably the, the biggest thing there, but I just feel like some of the shit that's said about Gannon is just, I, I think here, here's here's what I would say, like just to enter the conversation. And I've said this before on the show, but I think people conflate the idea of what they like personally versus the idea that this person is just not good at what they do. OK, I think this fan base loves hard nosed defense that gets after the quarterback and plays physical. Like it's just ingrained in the fabric of this city and of of this fan base. And it's been that way for a while. And a lot of it has to do with Buddy Ryan and the 46 defense and those guys just being up the quarterback's ass over and over and over. I do feel like it's evolved from that. Um, but they largely did get Jonathan Gannon's defense this year was set up to do like one thing mainly, which was prevent big gains of like 20 plus yards and limit the opponent's passing game, which they did. They had the second best like passing defense in the, in the league. So if you look at it under the framework of what they set out to do, they achieved what they set out to do, right? The problem is that people just 
they don't like zone and they don't like passiveness and and being conservative. They want to get up at the quarterback. Likewise, the Eagles had 70 sacks this year. We're number one in the league. True. So wasn't sexy. They, didn't, they didn't sack sexy enough is what I feel like with, with Eagles fans. Well, I guess they wanted it to be like Wink Martindale, right? The Giants blitz more than anybody. Yeah, that was awesome. they, they played like 50% zone and 50% man. Okay. So, so that's the, it's, it's not how they sack the quarterback is that they want, they want their defense to like philosophically look like something and act like something. It doesn't matter how you create these top 10, top five stats. You have to do it in a certain way. And that's what a portion of Eagles fans want. They want Seth Joyner barreling into the A gap and crushing some dude. All right. So, so I get it. There's just, and I don't think you're ever going to be able to reconcile the idea that, like, just because Gannon doesn't play the way that you want them to play, that doesn't mean he's a bad coordinator. It just means that you have a certain preference. And stylistically, he's doing something different that you don't like. And Anthony, I know, is not necessarily like an anti Gannon guy, but your complaints are more specific to second half adjustments or or well I, my 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 complaints on on Gannon are very similar to yours in all honesty Kevin in in in, uh, in that I think that he sticks with something too long before he changes it and I mm-hmm. think that that costs the Eagles on on a drive or 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 two drives sometimes um you know obviously you have to play more zone in the NFL today I think than you do man-to-man. It's just the nature of how the game is played. So I don't criticize Jonathan Gannon for being in a zone defense 70% of the time, 80, whatever, whatever. I don't even know how much it is, right? But I, so that I don't have a problem with that, and nor do I not have a problem with uh, not blitzing all the time. Like I, I, you know, you, you, a blitz is a gamble in, in every time you do it mm-hmm. because if the quarterback recognizes it, it or if it gets picked up, then you're you're leaving guys on an island who may not be capable enough of covering for more than a couple seconds, especially in today's game where you're not allowed to, you know, be physical at all. You're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to touch a receiver. Um, so that makes it harder. And, and so I think blitzing has to be str- more strategic and timed properly. Um, and so so I don't necessarily have a problem philosophically with what he does. My issue is is that if you're getting destroyed like he was in the Dallas game on those zones where nothing was changing and Dak Prescott was 24 for 24 something's got to something's got to change somebody got to go okay wait this isn't working we have to have something else to go to let's not keep doing the same thing and yes, you might go from one zone to another zone, or maybe there's a maybe there's a, a different kind of look you can give or whatever. But you have to try something else. And look, maybe it does. Maybe that doesn't work either. Maybe it's just a day that your defense is having a bad day. But at least if you're giving them different different looks, different things, mixing stuff in from time to time just to try and change the rhythm, change the timing of it, I think that you you'll be you'll have a better result. Uh, as far as the you know how you're perceived, but when you sit there and do the same thing and say, you know, I I know better, this is going to work, and then it doesn't. That's when people get pissed off at you and want to fire you and say you're the root of all evil. And it's it's not mm-hmm. the, not the case. Obviously, Jonathan Gannon's not that bad of a defensive coordinator, but that's why people react the way they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I would say I think you kind of hit on what I wanted to segue into, which was you mentioned how much zone every team plays. 
every every team in the NFL plays like twice as much zone as man right now. So like on average, you're pro- the teams are playing like sixty to eighty percent zone and probably like twenty something percent man on on average, right? That's just how it is because. As you well know, Anthony, there are ebbs and flows in football, just like every other sport, where the defense does something to get ahead of the offense and the offense adjusts. So the offense does something to get ahead of the defense and the defense adjusts. The defensive response to these amazing quarterbacks like Mahomes who can pass the hell out of the ball is to drop back and play zone and not get cooked in man and not get like beaten over the top and just try to contain and keep things in front of you. Like, I feel like I had a head start on you guys. Cause I watched years of shitty big 12 football where <laughs> all anybody ever wanted to do is pass. And we would rush three and we would drop eight and it was miserable football. But like all that last night when it worked, it worked. Yeah. TCU is not a great example. of, of that <laughs> last night, But I was watching three man rush out of the stack and it was just like brutal. I was like, holy shit, can you just get to get to this quarterback at all? And I think like the thing that bugs me about the Buddy Ryan stuff is that Buddy's what Buddy did was so specific to that era. Like when he created the 46 defense, it was smash mouth, plug gaps, get like eight motherfuckers up on the into the box. And then Izel Jenkins is on an island and he gets cooked by Jim Everett in the playoffs, right? Okay. So that's what you're living with. I've tried to watch buddy ryan games over the years I, I make it through some of it or whatever now i remember watching that rams playoff game like on the very first play of the game jim everett threw like a three-yard swing pass and it went for 30 yards because the the problem with with buddy's defense is that when the west coast offense you know really really took off you were throwing this dink and dunk shit and then you had eight guys standing there and like the ball was already out you know so i think like that era of football just does not interface with what you're seeing now from from offenses so i think when people are calling not for they're not calling for the 46 defense they're not calling for buddy ryan to replicate what he did in 2022 but they're looking for those principles of aggression when these quarterbacks are so good now that they can carve that up in two seconds like yeah. you talk about Dak completing a bunch of soft underneath shit against his own that's fine but like you know you could blitz 17 dudes with Seth Joyner barreling down the gun. These guys got it out and they're in space. You know, my, so I think it's my, anachronistic. My complaint with what you said was less about the fact that, I, I, you know, I, I know the 46 defense is not working in today's NFL. It's not, there's no way it could ever work today because of the way that the game is played. Um, but my complaint was more along the lines of, if you hang on, hang on, hold that, hold that thought one sec. I, I will let you continue. I just there's great breaking news uh, entering the sports world right now from Jeff Passan at ESPN, who says shortstop Carlos Correa and the Minnesota Twins are finalizing a six-year, two hundred million dollar contract. <laughs> yeah, the deal has a vesting option that can max out at two hundred seventy million. It is pending a physical. Pending yeah. a physical. Uh-oh. <laughs> we are at the goal line. This is such a goal line right now. Such LOL Mets, man. I love it. I, I, so, okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt your, your thoughts. Oh, that's fantastic. No, I couldn't be any better. Couldn't be any better. Um, but no, my, 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 my argument getting back to this is, is not that I sit, think, sit there and say, oh, Kevin, you're nuts. The 46 defense was so much better than what they do today. It's more of the talent level. I mean, it, it's like what the, what the Eagles have on defense today compared to what Buddy had accumulated here with those teams, it is not even close. And I know you're going to sit there and say, well, they set the sack record this year. It's, it's, a, it's a whole different world when you're sacking the, the quarterbacks that they played this year versus the superstars that they were playing back then. 
I mean, you, you were talking about some of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game in the late 80s and early 90s. And you really go back to Buddy's years when he was with Chicago, too. Same thing. They were shutting down Montana. They were shutting down uh, Marino, Elway, Moon. Um, I mean, you, you know, there were so many quarterbacks that they were playing. They couldn't – these great quarterbacks could not beat the, those players. And it was not necessarily the system. It was in both instances because later Buddy went on to other places and had didn't have as much success. But both in Chicago and in Philadelphia, he had great defensive players. And those players could play today. And I know you said they can't. I know you said they there and say, oh, there's no way. Blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you what. The, there was speed in the game back then. There was a lot of speed in the game back then. You're telling me that Jerry Rice wasn't one of the fastest receivers when he when he came into the league and played? I mean, there were there were legit talents and buddies defenses in Chicago and Philadelphia, not later in Houston and Arizona when they were yeah. not as good. Um, those because they didn't have the talent, but those teams could play. They could cover speed. They could bring down a guy who was who was a tough runner. They could bring down a tight end who was who was bruising over the middle. They had guys who could. They had covered linebackers on both of those teams. Those players could certainly were certainly more talented than what the Eagles have right now. I, I'm just it's just not even close. It's not even comparison. Well, I think that's a little. I mean, look, I'm not. You're not going to get an argument from me that like Reggie White and Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons and Eric Allen and Jerome Brown and Wes Hopkins <laughs> yes. and those guys couldn't play. Said, of course, but yes, like, but that, well, that, well, that was where Ryan my- Reddick, Javon Hargrave, Darius Slay, James Bradbury, they buddies. Now here's here's you want to hear a hot take? I'll give you a hot take. The best defense of that era wasn't even Buddy Ryan's defense. It was Bud Carson's defense in 1991. Now you can give Buddy credit for it's his players, yeah. for his players and, right. and putting that all together. A gang green was was Richie Cote. That was yeah. not uh, that was not Buddy Ryan. And I remember this one game, I'm sure you remember this, where they absolutely demolished Warren Moon. Monday um, night football. After they talked a massive amounts of shit against the Eagles. I don't think, yeah, no, I, I, I very much think that all those guys who played for gang green or buddies teams could play these days. I just think it was a much simpler NFL game back then. Likewise though, I think Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Hassan Reddick, Joshua, all these could, go, could go back and play in that era too. Like they're not pussy. You know, I have no, no. And, and I think that I, I agree it's very hard to compare errors, but I do think if you could sit there and say, can this player have played in this era can, and vice versa? Yeah. The Eagles current defensive line could absolutely have played back then. Mm-hmm. And I think their corners probably could have played back then. I don't think the middle of the field could have played back then. I don't think their linebackers. You don't and think DJ Edwards could? No. No, but here's the question. Let me ask you no. that. Let me ask you this. If they asked, Seth Joyner to line up in the slot and follow a tight end around, would he be as good as at that in this NFL guard, guarding these guys as he was back then? Um, I, I think he could. I think he was athletic enough, but that was not his role. They yeah. had other defensive, they had other linebackers who were put into that position yeah. to cover the tight end. Seth's yeah. what Seth's role in that in that defense wasn't that. Um yeah, he, was a, when, he was a he was a a a gap stuffing just yeah. like like ma- maniac. Yeah, and and he also and he was also really good at reading the edge, and getting out to yeah. the outside and making yeah. a tackle. And yeah. that's the other thing, it, and that's the one thing that I, the difference between players then and players today, 
is their ability to actually tackle a player and yeah. not just launch themselves at somebody or i mean you know i you see you it have all to the play time. more of a you you know what it is you have to, you have to these defenders have to play more of a space game. yes you have to be able to operate in space you remember and pagan you'll you'll be able to comment on this too but like you remember when they played the falcons in the playoffs in 2017 that falcons team was small they were a cover three team that had like that was built for speed. You know what I mean? Like you could run the ball at them, but like they were tough to throw against. And you're building like smaller and faster defenses, which is why it's just so hard for me. I think the problem that I ha- have, Anthony, is that I, I think like that era of football was mu- and, and and defensive football specifically was much more linear. You know, pin your ears back, get to the quarterback, crush the quarterback, and then you don't have to worry about anything after that. Yeah, but now offenses are so diverse and they're doing so much more that I just think defenders have more to account for. They have to play more zone. There's more nickel and dime. There's much less base that was played back then. I just, I'm not saying that those players couldn't play in this era. I just think that they were asked to do less because offenses just weren't as complex as they were. Well, they were asked they were asked to do less in a sense because the game you were allowed to play defense a little bit differently than you're allowed to play defense today. Yeah, you know how many roughing the passer penalties that that Eagles team would have had. Oh, they would have been flagged every other play. (laughs) (laughs) They really would have. Uh, But it's not just that. I mean, even you know, covering receivers. I mean, it was you would be a you would be a press corner all the almost all the time. You were never sitting back 10, 15 yards off of a receiver uh, unless it was late in the game and you were playing a prevent defense. And and the reason you were able to do it is because you were allowed to be really handsy with receivers. You were allowed to basically stand them up at the line and and, and, you know, grab onto them for the first five yards and really slow it down and break up the timing. And teams were running and teams were running a lot of like two running back, two wide receiver. Like the fullback was much more fullback. Yeah, there wasn't like like yeah. You didn't see these like five wide, like like eleven personnel sets the now or then the way you do now. Yeah, I mean the only teams that really did that back then were uh, were the Houston Oilers. Yeah, they, they had they had that um, uh, ball, uh, Buffalo, um, San San Diego Chargers. They had back in the eighties with Dan Fouts. They had that you know their yeah. you know their I forget what it was called, uh, but there was the a, a lot of passing and the Detroit Lions. Believe it or not. Yeah. Were another team that that did it a lot back then, but that was it. It was like a, just a handful of teams that ran those spread offenses, um, and everybody else. You're right. Was a running back, fullback, tight end, two receivers was your was your base yeah. offense, right? I mean, that's what a lot of teams did. Um, but I mean, there, you know, the, even the tight ends back then, there were tight ends who were legit tight ends as far as receiving in this league. And, you know, and so to sit there and say, you know, you look at how the tight end is used now, and yeah, we have some elite tight ends, but you had elite tight ends in those eras too that could get out and catch 80, 90 balls a year. And we had one in Philadelphia in Keith Jackson, who was sensational um, on, on those teams that, yeah. that, you know, it was hard to stop. But I mean, they, you know, even going forward, I mean, even like, you know, once you get into the era with, of like the Tony Gonzalez's of the world, I mean, you had guys who, do what they do today. I, I don't think today is so complex. I think it's just it's different and it's mm-hmm. and it relies more on uh, it relies more on athleticism and speed than it ever did before. But I yeah. do think that there's a lot less a lot less misdirection today. There's a lot less play action today because quarterbacks are out of the shotgun 90 percent of the time now. Yeah, Whereas yeah. back then you were what in the shotgun third down, maybe. 
and not always. It was a lot of time under center. Yeah. It was fake the handoff. So there was a lot more misdirection back then, too. So I also think that that, that plays a lot into it as well. Fellas, I'd love to continue this hour conversation between defensive coordinators and head coaches. I think we sh- <laughs> we think have we other have things to, to talk on. about, Kyle. Yeah, I, I think, think we've exhausted that. That was good, though. Yeah, that was yeah. great conversation for for Fair anyone balance. who wants to. That's good. That's great conversation for anybody thirty three and older. I think who listened to Crossing Broadcast, <laughs> who might be able to understand. Like I just missed the Buddy years. I just missed. Well, not just missed, but. I just missed the co tight years. Like Andy was my guy. Kevin, yeah, we you, didn't, guys, you didn't miss when you say you missed the Richie co tight years. You really didn't miss anything. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You, you know. You know. You know what he's telling us right now, Kev. He's telling us that for the last twenty minutes he just sat there zoning out, not listening to a word. One hundred percent. I might. No, I feel. Words. I feel bad for him. He's like twenty twenty nine or something, and it's you and me t- talking. <laughs> I feel like an old head myself. I'm not even forty. You know? Yeah. What? What? A, what a terrible experience I've had as a as a uh, yeah. as an Eagles fan since. 1993 and really since I was seven years old that I really remember anything I've had like seven NFC championships that I can remember you guys had to like slog through the 90s and the in the late 80s of of uh of purgatory um well and we brought you on I want to talk to you about it you you wrote it yesterday I know it was broken by a, a hockey podcast you can mention them I don't have them off the top of my name but uh there are a lot of rumors circulating that Ivan Provorov once out of Philadelphia, the surging Flyers, might I add, just one last night, had a four-game winning streak yesterday. You think these guys are actually competing for a uh, for a playoff spot? What's going on in the uh, on the Proby front? Yeah, I, it's well, the, the Proby front is a, is is a unique situation, and uh, we'll talk about it. But I just real quick, I just want to say, I, you know, you can never tell athletes to not compete and not try and win. But boy, are the Flyers really putting themselves in a bad spot? Well, maybe <laughs> they, they really are. Maybe they should have let go of the GM whose back is up against the wall and knows he's not going to be here for the rebuild or would be here for the rebuild. So you know, what's he supposed to do? Not try to build a team to save his job and save his ass and get a paycheck for his family and put food on the table? I mean, it's kind of hard to be mad at Chuck Fletcher, in my opinion, because it goes higher up to Comcast, Dave Scott, and all those guys. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of. What you what you saw, you hire a coach who's going to get the best out of his guys and you sign dudes who, you know, could be a fringe playoff team. And we're seeing what we're getting. So uh, they're not even that's the thing. They're not even a fringe playoff team. They're not good enough to be a fringe playoff team. And they're not bad enough to be one of the worst teams in the league to get uh, uh, Connor Bedard. So they're going to just kind of fall in that middle range. And you're still going to get a good player when they pick it seven, eight, nine, whatever they're going to end up picking at. Um, But they're not going to get one of the generational talents. It's going to just make this whole thing a little bit longer. That's all. Um, Wonderful. But Provorov, Ivan Provorov. So the situation with him is that um, it's gotten to the point where he is really frustrated. Um, And, yes, it was first reported on uh, 32 Thoughts podcast, uh, Elliot Freeman, Jeff Merrick out of Canada. and uh, that he's really frustrated with his situation and that he may be looking to, you know, try and go play somewhere else. Uh, and the Flyers may be willing to accommodate him at this point. Uh, Provorov w- was always deemed, and Kev will tell you, I mean, I, a few years ago, he wrote a story about the top players in Philadelphia. And I argued to have Provorov higher on his list um, because we all thought that Provorov was going to be an all-star def- number one defenseman. Um, 
that's what we were told. That's he was going to be given. He was being given all the given all those minutes. And for a couple of seasons, it looked like he was headed that way. I mean, 2017, 2018 was sensational. He took a slight step back in 18, 19, but 19, 20, uh, leading up to the pandemic, he was as good as he as he could be. I mean, really, really, really good. One of the best defensemen in the league that year. Um, and you kind of thought, geez, the kid's 24 years old. He's only going to get even better. Yeah. And since then, it's just fallen off. Not that – not to the point where it's like, oh my God, he stinks, but it's fallen off enough that you sit there and go, this guy's not a number one defenseman. He's not a power play defenseman. He's a good defenseman, probably a number two. Uh, if you have a really good number one, um, he could play a lot of minutes. He's very durable. And, you know, he's got a little bit of offensive ability, and that's okay. But he's not what you thought he was. And, that doesn't mean that you can't keep him and, and still win with him. You certainly can. But he has a higher expectation of himself, and as a result, it's caused a little bit of friction. And so, therefore, it might be one of those situations where it would be best for both sides if he went somewhere else. And, look, if he goes somewhere else, there's a very good chance he goes somewhere else and flourishes, and everybody will be pissed off that, oh, my God, we let Ivan Provrov go and look at what he turned out to be. But it's one of those situations where if that happens, it's only happening because he left here. And if he stayed here, he probably wouldn't get to that level, if, if that makes sense. He, he doesn't get along great with the coach. Um, the coach pushes him hard, and he doesn't respond to it. Um, I thought he was a competitor. I thought he was uber competitive. As you well, he, he is, but he's thick-headed. He's, so and I, when I say that, it's he's one of those guys who tries so hard because he wants to fix, he sees something going wrong and feels like he has to resolve it on the ice. And so he will go and try and cover for somebody else's mistake and create the mistake that ends up happening for the team that leads to the goal or whatever the case might be. Um, is, is he a real 25? Is he a age, real? Age yeah. wise? Well, he's about to turn 26, but well, yeah. He's a real 26. I've heard some, I heard some rumors. There's some rumors going around the skate zone. That the Russians fudged the birth certificates a little bit. I don't know how much you know about that, but I had a buddy who knew yeah. a buddy who played beer league hockey, and we're like, I don't think Ivan Provorov's twenty six years old or twenty five years old. He is. He's he's legit. that's a twenty six year old guy. The reason he's legit is because he was sent over here at a very very young age to play. He was playing in Canada. Okay. He didn't. He didn't. He wasn't a kid that stayed in Russia the entire time and then just was drafted out of Russia. He came over at a very young age and started playing hockey in Canada. Um, and, and so, but yes, he's 26. That's a that's a divorced dad with three kids. <laughs> I, do you want to you want to hear the? Um, <clears throat> so here's a blast from the past. Here, let me pull it up on the side here. The ranking that Anthony was mentioning, I do remember he fought me on Provy on this one. This oh, was, yeah, I did. I was wrong. Yeah. Kevin, I have a feeling this list is going to be, we're going to want to puke after we hear this list. Yeah, this is 2018, July 2018. The top 25 Philly athletes ranked in definitive, undebatable order. Um, it was just a four for four sports. We didn't put any union guys on here. So we ended up with Jason Peters at 25, Shane Gostis Bear at 24, Robert Covington, 23, Sean Couturier, 22. Adubel Herrera at number 21. Wow. Nice. Dario Saric at 20. JJ Redick, 19. Provi at 18. 
Nick Foles, 17, Alshon Jeffrey and Justina Anderson at 16, <laughs> Nigel Bradham at 15, Jake Voracek at 14, Jason Kelsey, 13, Zach Urch, 12, Brandon Brooks, 11, Reese Hoskins, 10, Brandon Graham, 9, Fletcher Cox, 8, Ben Simmons, 7, Lane Johnson, 6, Malcolm Jenkins, 5, Giroux at 4. Then it was Nola Embiid and Carson Wentz was number one. I counted seven guys in that top 25. It could be, I could be off that are still on the team. So, which is actually, I don't know, what's yeah. that, almost about 30, 30 some percent. Years. That's actually not that bad. But that was, see, here's the thing. Years. Here's the thing, Anthony. Like, everybody talks about how shitty the Flyers are now. They were really, really good that year, right up until uh, before the pandemic or whatever, you know, when, yeah. when AV had them playing well. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It just, it's like, you don't want to, I think you said it the best in the, in the story that you wrote yesterday that took me three hours to edit. Um, <laughs> they 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 beat a bunch of shitty teams out in california but then you see like the gulf in quality with like the the leafs right yeah so it's that they're they're closer they're beating the teams at the bottom but they're closer to the bottom than they are to yes. that to that to that line that and that's the tor- this is the tortorella effect and it's kind of what we talked about on Stow the goalie when they hired him it was that if, unless they change the roster the team's going to be better than it was last year just because Tortorella will make them play better. Yeah. But the talent isn't there. There's not enough talent there to compete at a level that you want to compete compete at to have a chance to win in the playoffs. And that's the ultimate ultimately what it is. So they're in a lot of games. They're competitive with with good teams. The ter- Toronto game aside, that was pretty ugly. But they've only had three maybe ugly games in the first half of the season. Four. Um, the other 37, they've either won or been really close and really good, really good hockey games. They just don't have the top end talent that they need to, to take that next step. And if you don't lose right now and get into the top three, four picks in the draft, you're not getting one in the draft either. So that's, that's the conundrum and they would be be better suited to maybe move on from players sooner rather than later and have to call up a bunch of AHL guys who aren't good enough to play uh, at the NHL level and just lose a bunch of games and get further down in, in the standings um, and, and have a shot at winning that lottery. Um, because if you end up being at, you know, seven, eight, nine, like I said, you'll get a good player, but it'll just be another good player and not a star player and that they need a star player. And with the salary cap situation they're in, they're not bringing in a star player that's established. They need to develop one. This uh, this Samuel Urson guy. Yeah, this is a good story. 4-0, Swedish goaltender, the next Bobrovsky? I think he's better than Bob. Wow. So think, what, 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 be where do they Bob. deal him? Do they deal him to Columbus? Do they deal him to Winnipeg? Who do you think? I'm not certain they deal him. Wow. Okay. I, I think it's a I think this is a good thing. I think that they've identified this kid. He was a under the radar, uh he was a fifth round draft pick, right? So I mean, he wasn't highly touted. Um, but uh their scouts really liked him and they felt like he could develop, played a bit over in Sweden and started to get you started to see him playing in that Swedish elite league, which is probably the third best league in the world behind uh, NHL and KHL. Um so really playing against uh, good talent there. Um, and then when they brought him over to North America and he starts playing for the Phantoms and they see that he can adapt to the North American game uh, with angles. I mean, that's the most important thing with goalies is 
the rinks are bigger in Europe, so the way you angle your body on shots from the outside, uh, you got to kind of learn the new angles. And he picked it up right away. And his other mechanics are really good. He's fast uh, po- uh, post to post. They think, oh, my God, we have another number one goalie here. So now the question is, what do you do? And I think that the answer is right away is you play him and Hart and kind of like say, okay, guys, just go at it and push each other and see if it works. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having good competition if you have goalies that are of that caliber. And you got to, and it tests the metal a little bit, right? I mean, is is Carter Hart more like Carson Wentz, or is he, you know, more like a guy who who doesn't mind a little internal competition, right? Um, so that's a good thing to problem have. And then al- alternately, you are hedging yourself against any potential negative result. Uh, of the investigation into the Hockey Canada team uh, with the with the uh, gang rape allegation from 2018. So um, not to say that Carter was involved in that in any way, but if in fact he was, um, then you have someone who can jump in and replace him. Do you think Carter would be able to uh, – how, how does he react to that kind of stuff? I mean, you've been around the team for a while. I, I, I think he's uh, – I, I think he's mentally tough. I think he's a, I mean, I mean, he has to be, he dealt with last season, right? Yeah, I mean, right. what it was like, you know, and the year before that, if you remember, he was, uh, he struggled a lot with, uh, with the team being bad. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of really had to re recommit himself to, uh, his mental focus and he was better with it last year and he's been much better with it again this year. So I think that he can handle that. Um, but if if it comes out where you know a year from now you have these two guys, and it's like, all right, well we have to eventually make a commitment to one over the other. You decide which one's better, and you make that commitment, and then use the other one as the uh, as as an asset to to get you something. So I I think it's a good problem to have for the Flyers. All right, okay, have you got anything else before we move on? I got one more thing I want to talk about. No, here's the question from Bill. Uh, was Hart part of the players that lawyered up amid the allegation? Um, he's got a yes. He's got a lawyer. Um, they all do. Uh, the one thing that is you know that Russ always brings up that is kind of interesting is that a lot. No, of players- wait, wait, wait. Hang on. He doesn't bring up anything interesting, does he? <laughs> is that a lot of players uh, through their lawyers released a statement? an individual statement about not being involved or not having done anything wrong. And Carter is one of the few guys who did not do that. He did not release any statement. Um, all that was said was, uh, you know, his lawyer uh, who is, who is representing multiple players um, didn't identify anybody by name, but said that uh, the clients that he represents are working uh, are cooperating with the investigation um, and maintain uh, that they're, you know, maintain their innocence, but that's it. I mean, nothing specific to Carter. So that's, that's the one thing I always found that was kind of curious why, you know, he's more hope high profile than a lot of these guys, why he wouldn't have said something. And the fact that he didn't has, you know, left a little bit of a shroud of uh, uncertainty. So got it. Um, I want more, I want to talk one more thing. Broad Street Run, Broad Street Run. If anyone didn't see, was uh, was taken from the first Sunday in May when it typically is, moved to April thirtieth due to a Phillies game being scheduled on that first 
Sunday in May. First of all, doesn't MLB and Philadelphia and the city all work together to make sure major events don't happen when they uh, release the schedule? I thought that was kind of like the, the number one issue that all the schedule makers in, in every respective sport do. Two, why not kind of do it kind of like Boston? Why not kind of just have the Broad Street run, which is only 10 miles. It's not a marathon like they want they have in Boston. But every marathon Monday, they have the Boston Red Sox game at 11 o'clock so that by the time it's over, people can go out and cheer on the 25th mile marker, I believe, what it is in Boston. People running the running the marathon. Now, since it was only a 10-mile run, why wouldn't the city work together? And now that the finish line is not the Navy Yard, it's now a K-Lot. Why wouldn't the city work together with the Phillies to have a lead-in to a Phillies game on, on Sunday? I know it would be a logistical nightmare, don't get me wrong, but we don't get paid the big bucks for that. You have city planners that can do that, and you can get there from 76 and 95. What do you guys think about that? I don't know, man. I'm not a runner, so I don't really get it. Like, I don't understand running without doing something like kicking a ball or dribbling a ball or having like an objective. I'm probably going to piss Craig off in the process. It's true. Craig is a runner, I think. But I, but I also think that the Broad Street run for Craig is like me and you. I don't know. Me and you working for like, <laughs> I don't want to shit on any blog. Me and you working for fan sided. Craig, Craig's probably like, I shit out 10 miles yeah. for breakfast. You know what I mean? <laughs> probably like, probably walks that every day, you know. Exactly. Craig runs 10 miles before like seven in the morning. I can only share my one experience. My wife did it. My wife trained for it. My wife's not really like a, like she'll go out and run and she'll stay in shape and stuff, but she was not like an athlete growing up. So she trained for the broad street run. She wanted to make it her goal to finish it and make it like an individual accomplishment. And it was. But I went down to the Navy Yard, and there's like a million motherfuckers down Sucks. there, and it was pouring rain. Oh, was she, no, that, was she? That's the one I ran. Yeah, yeah, and she was like, it was pouring rain. I had an umbrella. I was standing on top of the bleachers. There's like a hundred people crossing the finish line per second. I could, I, I was like looking for her in the crowd, and then she calls me ten minutes later and said, "Hey, I like I finished. I'm standing here in the Navy Yard." So I was standing like a dipshit, just staring at the finish line and waiting for her to come through, and she had already come through. But yeah, we had to then like walk uh, walk back to yep. like across the high, well underneath the highway, then back to like Xfinity Live another mile. I was, it just doesn't like make any sense. There's no there's no like logistical purpose to any of this. They should just end it at the sports complex, which is like a nice like well you know imagine like coming off a of broad street. You're coming around Patterson. People are tailgating the the, the Phillies game. They're yeah. going nuts on Pats. And like that, the thing is with with the Broad Street run is, and then you keep and then you have to keep running another mile. Then you keep running, yeah. and you got to keep running to K Lot. Yeah. So now, so now that like it's not in the Navy Yard anymore, it's perfect because you're just running around Patterson. You're going to K Lot and you're done. And then you get to go right to Xfinity Live, or half the people go to, or you get to go right to the subway. But the thing about the Broad Street run is, forty thousand people do it. I would say probably thirty thousand of them probably just do it on a whim. Like I, I think I got up to about like four miles, and for training, and I was like, you know what, that's enough. I, I but on the day of, you're just like, you, there's there's just so much people lining the lining the streets. There's there's bands at Temple. Uh, the Temple band comes out and plays. You really just make it off of just adrenaline. Like if you're if you're like me who like you know drank the night before and went out and wanted to puke the whole time. Like you made it off of just pure adrenaline. Like you, I stopped like five times. But you had everyone cheering you on and everything. That's the best part about the Broad Street Run, unless you're trying to win the win the grand prize. Which no, I I, I think I think it's a great marketing idea to tie it in with the Phillies. I really Jeez. do. Yeah, yeah. 
it's no, become it's, very it's very popular now. The Broad Street Run yeah. is very popular. I mean, you may as well try to intertwine it a little bit more with whatever you can. It may make it even more part of the city ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, why not? I thought what you were saying in that article was a good idea. Thank you, Kev. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. And make it a dollar dog day while they're at it. Oh, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Now you're getting greedy. Yeah. No, everybody, everybody throws up afterwards. We only do dollar dog nights on random Tuesdays in June. When the Marlins <laughs> My friends, like, so this is the dumbest thing ever. Maybe we can end on this. My friends who are really stupid, they did this thing like 10 years ago and they called it a dumb, they called it a dumb run. And they okay. picked out like five spots in Philadelphia and they ran to each of them and ate something at each of those places and then ran to the next place. So like they ran to like a cheesesteak place, had a cheesesteak, and then they ran to the next place and like had something there. I, like I didn't really get the point of it. Um, I thought that was like barf city to me yeah. because like I, I would, you know, I play like 90 minutes of a soccer game where I feel like I have to puke afterwards, like let alone like stuffing a dollar dog, you know. Uh, it's like a beer mile. Um, beer mile yeah beer mile too yeah like the beer there was like a, there was a group in fishtown called like the fishtown beer runners or whatever yes yeah and so they'd run yeah they'd do like a circuit or whatever but then they'd go to like the bar afterwards right well that I means yeah, i can't drink a different. damn beer after running like no, but that's no, yes you can yes you can no i can't man like you're not you're supposed to because beer's not hydrating beer's not hydrating yeah. you get dehydrated by drinking you're supposed to right. drink water and and, Mix and water theater. you know okay my, my my only question for you is you sure that was fishtown not port richmond <laughs> maybe it's a old flat iron what did they, what did they call it Port, well, uh, old kensington is a big one right now okay yeah. back on here i'll have to talk about it. yeah i love how that was a great episode we had a lot of good sports conversation and that's all the, the, the dominated map got like a hundred thousand impressions on on twitter or something you know but yeah. it's philly in a nutshell man you know it's yeah. a show it's a show it's a really a sports show about nothing yeah, yeah. So in summary, fuck Buddy Ryan. No, I'm just <laughs> the leader, Craig, pull up the leader of uh, Q Gannon if you get a chance. Yes, this is a great yeah. Photoshop made behind the scenes bar. Q, Q Gannon, yeah, Q Gannon, uh, Craig, the Q Gannon shaman. There he is, <laughs> the leader of the Q Gannon. Uh, <laughs> ready to storm the Novacare complex. By the way, the genesis of that photo of me making that face was that I found a bunch of scrap metal in my backyard when I moved into the new house. I was like, I'm just going to take this to the scrapyard and get rid of it or whatever. And they gave me like $9 for it. And I ended up puncturing a tire on a loose, loose piece of uh, scrap metal. So I had to, you know, it took me like $150 to replace like the tire and get it all fixed or whatever. So I made $9 and lost 150 yeah. so i was net minus 141 dollars. but i got rid of the metal in my backyard so there you go thank god yeah hey by the way um we were talking a lot about your beard last episode i gotta say it is coming in pretty nicely it must be nice to be able to yeah grow something so fast you you don't look like the you don't look like the Kuganon shaman anymore no it's not that fast though i don't i don't get like the five o'clock shadow or whatever you know it's more like the seventy-two hours later shadow. Well, me and Ant, I feel like me and Ant just we don't we don't really grow beards. I, I it's even now um, where it comes in, it comes in a little bit more uh, full than it used to. It used to be spotty, mm. and that was why I never did it. Uh, but if I let it go, it will come in more full. But it takes forever. Yeah, well, maybe we got to get that. We got to get Doctor Glatt on the next uh, show. Maybe he can tell us about follicles. Maybe we'll do some follicle talk. Yeah, there you on, go. Uh, crossing broadcast. Uh, all right. Well, hey, thanks guys for coming on. And I always appreciate it, buddy's boy. Anytime, boys. Thank you to the Q Ganon Shaman. Thank you to uh Craig 
behind the scenes. Thank you to you, the listener. We will talk to you on Thursday. You have a great rest of the day.